Welcome to the Forge by Trust podcast. I'm your host, Robin Dreek, former U.S. Marine, trust expert, and spy recruiter. This episode of Forge by Trust is brought to you by our guest today, Pablo Gonzalez. Has anyone ever told you you should have a podcast? That was me for a long time, but I didn't want to start something like that without a plan that made sense or a system I could follow that would work. That's why when my buddy, Pablo Gonzalez, told me about his Relationship Flywheel podcast system, I enrolled in his class, loved it, and now have this show you're listening to now. If you're like I was, I highly recommend you join his next class starting the week of October 10th for a six-week boot camp that will give you everything you need to run a podcast that leads to the only thing that matters most, the right relationships. We'll link it in the show notes, but go to bethestage.live backslash bootcamp and use the promo code ROBIN, all capitals, for 20% off the price. Having a podcast will change your life. Sign up for the Relationship Flywheel Bootcamp and join us, lucky ones that have figured it out. Coming up next on the Forge by Trust podcast. I was born in Venezuela. My family left Venezuela before I went to school. And my first like formative memory is walking into preschool in Miami consciously knowing that I was the only kid that didn't speak English. I never really had a a thing that I identified with as much as being an outsider. And very quickly, I realized that my social skills could get me what I wanted. And I very quickly realized that the people I was surrounded by now were all these like super connectors and we're all very, very influential people. And they all preach the idea that they got there through service. They all preach the idea of what can I do for you There is no lever of influence more powerful than serving people in their own interests. And I'm a a very big believer that if you can build a system that adds value to other people at scale, then you can really live this life. Welcome to the show. I'm Robin Dreek. And on the Forged by Trust podcast, we decode the interpersonal communication skills of the world's most acclaimed forgers of trust. We unlock the skills and techniques from spies, spy recruiters, master interrogators, globally recognized behavioral experts, C-suite executives, entrepreneurs, acclaimed authors, and thought leaders. Each episode provides specific actions that you can immediately apply to any aspect of your personal or professional life. This episode, Forging a Network for Success, is with my true BFF and the man that inspired me to become a podcaster, Pablo Gonzalez. Pablo Gonzalez is the inventor of the relationship flywheel, host of the B2B Community Builder and Not Your Average Investor shows, and co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, an agency that works with core values-led companies to turn their clients into a community and their community into the greatest business asset. He's obsessed with human connection, and he's used this expertise to grow nonprofits, sell $60 million in construction projects, rescue fledgling startups, set record-breaking quarters for 100 million plus companies and be named a Latino leader of the future and a top 20 under 40 in various publications. More than anything, he is dying to be your friend. During an episode today, we talk about immigrating from Venezuela as a toddler and always feeling like an outsider, learning at a young age the power of social skills, service to others as the key to success, discovering how to monetize service, how to inspire loyalty, and Pablo's levers of value. Does that make it? (laughs) Yes. I've made it. I'm on the Robin Dreek show. You did. And do you you see my thanks I have? (laughs) That's good, buddy. 
for those listening, I'm wearing my Be The Stage jacket that Pablo graciously gave me. It's incredibly humbling to be here with the Jedi Master that got me into podcasting. So thank you for joining me, Pablo. It is humbling to be on a show hosted by a guy that I think that my dad would think I'm cool for being friends with. This is awesome. Likewise. I'm going to take this off and I apologize just because it is warm in my house. (laughs) Yeah, it looks a little warm. I appreciate the gesture, man. You made my day. Yeah. So how are you? We haven't chatted in a little bit. Those that are listening, get my full transparency. I always have some show notes that I prepare ahead of time. And matter of fact, I'll pop them up on the side. So I have them just there as I learn from the great Pablo. And what was interesting is that for this one, I got like two things. I'm going to let you free flow because the podcast today is really about your superpower and amazing thing. And we're going to go into it in a second, but it's because everyone, every superhero has got an amazing backstory. And when you have a talent as yours, which is networking, it's hard to imagine that when you were growing up as a little guy that you said to your parents and your friends and everything, when they asked you what you want to be when you grew up, you'd say, I want to be this master networker. (laughs) But somehow or other, that came to be, and you are indeed a master networker of people. How did that journey start? How did you arrive there? Oh, man. You're right. My uh, my parents are just starting to understand that uh, this whole thing has value. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to have a me moment, but it's really funny because with my parents, it's the same thing. When I retired from the FBI, they assumed I retired, and, it, and they don't get there's still a day job that we're doing, especially when you're involved in the types of things that you're involved in. It takes a lot of time and effort to do that. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. I, I would imagine why your parents would be confused that you went from like FBI master spy catcher to influencer, right? <laughs> I wish I had these skills beforehand. I would have been much better at my job, hands down. I, matter of fact, if I was to interview people for the FBI now, the people yeah. that would jump to the front of the line are people like you. Because if you, I mean, think about it, the amount of, and for those listening, I get a lot of people that tune in that are behavior advocates. They're all about human behavior, the podcast, Forging Trust. But it's interesting. It's all about understanding human beings and interacting in a positive way. A podcaster, if they're into their craft like you are, you're doing these amazing OSINT deep dives to gain background in individuals before you even reach out. Then you do a pitch to someone to try to inspire them to trust you to come on their show. Then you do more pre-work, more prep work. You do interview prep work. Then there's the interview itself. And then the real work begins. The most humbling moments in the world is when you begin to edit yourself. <laughs> Oof, isn't that correct, man? It's like- a- Makes you a god. I would, I would imagine that whatever, you know, sixth man on an NBA bench that's watching the, who's like really trying to crack the starting lineup, watching film from the game the day after, that's how I feel when I'm watching my, when I'm like re-listening to my podcast, I'm re-listening to interviews or, or quality controlling my content. I'm like, you idiot, Robin was clearly saying this and that would have been fascinating to go, but you were so fixed on trying to get to this other point that uh, you totally missed the boat, pal, right? Like I, I, I find myself doing that all the time. Yeah. It's, as I said, it's, it's the most humbling thing I've ever done in my entire life. And if I had even done the, the short time I've been doing this, if I had even done a quarter of these things, I would have been a hundred percent more better as an agent, yeah, hands yeah, down. So hats off to you. So again, I we digressed on that rabbit hole we went down, but we come back to center again. Yeah. yeah. 
how did that journey happen? Because again, I, I believe you're natural at this, and but you've taken that natural gift that you're born with, and you really accentuated it. I appreciate that, man. I, I will. I think it's. I think I can. I can summarize it in two periods of my life. Number one is. I'm the most American person in my family. I don't know if I've ever kind of told you that piece, right? But like my, I was born in Venezuela. My family left Venezuela before I went to school. And my first like formative memory is walking into preschool in Miami, consciously knowing that I wasn't, that was the only kid that didn't speak English. So I still have this like out of body experience that I remember of walking into that room and, and feeling just very vulnerable and, and, and scared out of my mind. And how old were you again? Three. Right. But like, but I, but I remember this. Right. And, and lucky for me, there was one other kid that spoke Spanish. Jose Garrido became my BFF. But a year later at that age, you you learn the language, right? I'm barely speaking Spanish at that age. Obviously I'm three. So, so I become bilingual very quickly, but then, and then we moved to Spain and we enroll in a British Academy where I'm thinking that, well, now I know Spanish and English, no big deal. I'm good here. And when I walk in there, I quickly understood that I did not understand the Spanish dialect or the British dialect. So again, went home crying, thinking I thought that I had kind of like conquered this thing. And, and how old were you at that age then? At four. That was a, a year later. Wow. Right. So that has led to me always valuing this number. Number one, always thinking as an outsider, right? Like this idea that I am. And then we moved back to the U.S. when I was nine. At that point, you know, like I had kept in contact with my friends from Miami. I I knew Spanish, Spanish and Venezuelan Spanish and Cuban Spanish and American English and British English at that, you know, by the time I moved back, I felt very comfortable doing this thing, but kind of living this like three continent life where we were coming home for Christmas and, and summers in, in Venezuela and, 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 and other holidays in Miami and then living in Spain in a, in a British school, right? Like I, I never really had a, a thing that I identified with as much as being an outsider. So I've always approached the world as an outsider looking in that very quickly developed a skill set to get in. And, and, and feel like I belong out of like self-preservation. So that, that really just accelerated this idea that I was this affable, talkative little kid that spoke to strangers and made friends. And I got this story. Like I, I remember, I remember whenever we'd fly home from Spain to Venezuela or to Miami, we were a family of five and I would always ask to sit by myself because one time I did that. And I made friends with this like older gentleman next to me and midway through the flight, I had him buy me like Toblerones and things off of the in-flight magazines. And I very quickly learned that I could, you know, create this connection and get what I want. And like, by the end of the flight, like everyone would be coming up to my mom, like, what do you feed this kid? I, I've never like, ima- imagine jumping on a plane in, in 1986, no in-flight entertainment and seeing this like six-year-old schmuck looking up at you, like smiling mischievously thinking, what am I going to get from you? Probably thinking he's going to have the worst flight of his life. And then walking away eight hours later thinking, I just made a friend with a, with a kid. Right. So like, that's, that's what I was doing on these planes. And very quickly, I realized that my social skills could get me what I wanted. So grew up that way, using, selfishly using my ability to make that connection and and get in and 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 be able to manipulate in the kindest way possible up through my late 20s early 30s when i by chance got very involved with philanthropies right like I, at one point when i was back in miami 
starting my first business, I started a young professionals group for Habitat for Humanity, again, because I thought that I would be, it would benefit me. And very quickly, I then got on the board of Habitat and I got on, and then we started replicating this model of like creating young professional groups in order for me to get a board seat at different charities across Miami. And very quickly, I found myself in the room with board members of charities that now were no longer the typical late 20s, early 30s, overgrown frat guy that wanted to talk about sports and chicks and like what, like whatever we're doing. And I had to figure out a way to connect at that point. And I looked around and I'm like, man, this like Ace Ventura shtick that I've, that I've been doing my whole life has a shelf life. And what is what am I going to do if I don't have the skill set? And I very quickly realized that the people I was surrounded by now we're all these like super connectors and we're all very, very influential people. And they all preach the idea that they got there through service. They all preach the idea of what can I do for you? And I remember very distinctly sitting at one of these lunches with like the president of a local bank and the head of the chamber of commerce, me and my buddy, Oscar Lopez, who was a little younger than me, but a commercial banker. So he's kind of like trained in this, in this dialogue and me not knowing what to say and seeing him just very, you know, frankly asked them, so how's business, man? What's going on in your life? Like, what is, what does it look like? Right. And seeing how that facilitated dialogue with these influential people that I was having a really hard time connecting with. And then I started just completely leaning into this instead of trying to figure out how I can show up in a space and be the coolest guy, show up in a space and how can I serve the most people, which in my skill set became, how can I make you feel like the coolest guy and then tell everybody about it? So that's, that's what, that's what formed it all. I'm speechless. <laughs> so if you're able to tune into the YouTube channel, you'll see me sitting here with my jaw open as I'm, I'm just dumbfounded. Wow. Paulo, I can't believe we've known each other this long and I, I didn't know that backstory. And that is an incredible backstory. The crazy thing about that backstory, it's hitting a theme that I'm seeing with guests like you that come on that have, amazing life skills and success. And all of you have this theme of get out the door, experience the world. You have curiosity and you have a desire to interact. And it's an, it's a process of awareness that you were obviously exceptionally aware at that, hey, I was doing it to serve myself first by need and necessity, but all of a sudden you get this exposure to service. And then that's when it really jump starts. And one of my past guests, not too long ago, Bob Berg, who wrote The Go-Giver is a great example of Bob and bringing immense value to others. And that's what you've done for me. I mean, you are one of these people that I'm dumbfounded at is I won't hear from for weeks, months at a time. And all of a sudden out of the blue, I get an email from Pablo with an idea. Just for me, because he was thinking of me, something popped in. I mean, the reason I'm a podcaster is because you had an idea for me. And it's been the most beneficial thing I've experienced and humbling, as we just discussed, in my life, because you brought value. You, it, what, what, a, what a gift. So I, I thank the universe for making you, because it's pretty incredible. 
I, and the only thing I can think of too, was your dad CIA? I mean, what, what was he doing bopping around or maybe it was your mom? How did that all happen that you're bopping around the world at such a young age? My dad was a executive inside a family office of like one of the richest families in Venezuela. That's like one of these like richest families in the world. And in the late seventies, they started doing leveraged buyout with my dad as like the operator, right? So they were buying, they were buying businesses based on how much that they could grow the revenue in a short amount of time with, with great operation, proved the model in Venezuela, then started doing it in the US. And then they bought this company called Galerias Preciados in, in Spain. Have you ever been to Spain? El Corte Inglés is this like epic six-story department store. And I'm going to stop you right now because when I do the transcript on this, there's no way I'm going to get that spelling. Forget it. <laughs> I'll send it to you, man. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's just like, it's like, it, it, it's like if you were to combine Macy's with Walmart and put it in like a six story department store, there was two of them in the, in, in Spain at the time in the eighties. And it was like Burger King and McDonald's, right? They bought, they bought Burger King when it was almost broke and turned it into a very legitimate competitor of the McDonald's and then sold it to them. So, and my dad was the, was the guy that ran all that. And then after that transaction, decided to go into business for his own. And we settled in Miami in order to be closer to Venezuela, to the rest of the family, but be in the U.S. and, and, and be able to operate that business. So my dad was like an international businessman of mystery. Kind of like, and you're following in the same footsteps because I imagine that job required an immense ability to develop and forge great trust and relationships with people. Yeah, man. You know, it's, it's crazy because I never, I identify more with my mom as the super connector. My mom's like the person that's like, friends with everybody in town. And right. like during COVID, you know, like last Christmas, Christmas 2021, uh-huh. uh, when like nobody could buy an at-home test. And I was going from like CVS to CVS trying to find one. She just put like a call into like her lady at CVS and got eight, right? Like that type of person. Right. My dad, I never attributed that to him, right? Like I always thought my dad was just like high-powered businessman, but he started in, in, recent, in recent history, started doing business again in Spain. And when they were back in Spain, he was sitting down at the cafe of like one of these Corte Inglés stores, which again, big business. It's like it's like a like a Macy's, right? There's two or three of them in every major city in 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 Spain. And he's sitting down at like the at like the Nordstrom Cafe of that. And the manager comes out and goes, "Excuse me, are you Humberto Gonzalez?" And he's like, "Yes." And this was one of the ones that were one of the ones that he had he was the CEO of and had operated. And immediately, like half the staff came out. I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. And it was like, hey, you know, we just want to say like, never have we, you know, we still talk about you. Like never did we feel so valued as employees and like have have been led in such a way since you were the CEO of this business. And this was 30 plus years ago. Right. So so I do have to. I've, I've, I've never, I've never until right now, I haven't really given my dad that due credit, but I'm, I'm a hundred percent certain that my dad must've been one of these, like yeah. my dad's always been a very high integrity person. So, right. you know, he's, he is a core values, high integrity driven leader that has his own type of emotional intelligence that doesn't come across as like funny guy, like I do. Right. It, it comes across a very different way, but yeah, he definitely has, he definitely so has that. So what it sounds like is you were surrounded by two people, and maybe your siblings as well, but definitely the two yeah. people that forged your your personality, and neither of them 
were transactional with their relationships. Your dad was not a transactional relationship guy. He was a forger of relationships over the long term. When you look at the six signs of behavior, he vested in others and longevity. It sounds like it. So even though he wasn't flamboyant with it, he wasn't gregarious and outgoing as described, he was a he was all in all the time. If he formed a relationship, it was there forever. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say that's, that's accurate. And, and if we're going to talk about the title of the show forged by trust, I really do think that one of my, one of my greatest assets is I am a, I'm, I'm like a delusional optimist, man. Like I really do believe everything's going to be fine all the time because I, I just don't have I don't have any data sets that tell me that it won't because my parents provided an environment for me to grow up where for the first 32 years of my life before my brother getting sick, I just, I never encountered hardship or uncertainty that I did not create for myself, right? Like I, I really approached the world as like, it's benevolent because I was surrounded by well-intended people from them to their group of friends, to like my extended family and all of that. You just hit on something that is so powerful, and, and I we're going to do our best to bottle this Please. because that's why I really think it's important to be able to pass on these kind of tools to others. You, you, what a dichotomy you just described here. You just said, I never faced hardship, yet your entire origin story is about how you faced hardship because you didn't speak English when you went to any of these schools at a young age, and your, and your dad moved you all over the world. So- this is the power of context. And that's what we have. The only thing in life as, as this organism on this planet, we really have the ability to impact is our own view of what we see the world as. And some people would view that experience as total adversity, as I'm, I'm behind the eight ball. The world's out to get me. Woe is me. I'm going to crawl into a shell. I'm going to blame everyone else. I'm going to sit here, feel entitled. And you said, I never face adversity. And that's something. It's it is really all about context. So let's look at the tools that I know. This is it's anecdotal for you because you naturally did these things because you're like you said you're this eternal optimist. What can you boil anything down that you actually consciously do or are at least aware of when you're actually networking? When let's we can use me as an example. Yeah, for sure. Only because people kind of know me a bit from listening and watching the show. Like, how did you, one, discover me? Why did you discover me? What made you reach out? And how did that work? And just use that as a model. Yeah, man. I'm glad you said that because I've been wanting to talk about this since you started complimenting me about, I, I forget what the moment in the beginning of the conversation was, but I felt like I had already strayed too much from the topic. There's man. no strain. This is a conversation. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. When you... You in your, I found you on the science of success podcast, right? right? And it was like, it was like influence through good or influence through bad. And they juxtaposed you who, you know, what you stand for versus somebody that's like, nah, you know, like what, what the, what the tactics are that are most effective and your approach to it as the archetype that you are right. As this, like, I, you know, I see you as this, like, Jack Bauer, James Bond, like high school quarterback, Annapolis grad guy that I highly, highly like. I could, I could never see myself being that person. But you, you, the fact that in your role of what you were doing, you had reached the same conclusions 
that that I had based this idea that I stumbled upon when I uncovered this truth of these nonprofit le- these board members of nonprofits that were high power CEOs and politicians and all these different things of there is no lever of influence more powerful than serving people in their own interests and and doing that in a in a long play and aligning priorities gold i'm so sorry I, I interrupt that flow but man that is such a beautiful statement keep going <laughs> yeah listen man that's that to me is your message right like the, message. You know, the, the, the idea that the idea that you can recruit a foreign national that has complete immunity to help them enlist against the country that put them there with an immunity in their foreign land based on aligning with their incentives, validating what they believe is true, approaching with curiosity and not judgment and, 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 and offering them the choice and just showing up in their life as somebody that is there for them. And that, and that being something that worked for you in that role was so validating to me at a time where I was just looking for, man, how do I turn my skill set into a business model? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So that was one. And then two, the other thing was you tell the story similar to me in, in a in a different context. You're like, man, I had to develop this skill set because I was a hard charging, you know, A type ignorant dude that was just trying to like bulldoze everybody. And I got to a certain level and they told me that that does not work here. <laughs> you know, so you had to you had to reinvent yourself based on the data set that you saw, based on your own incentives and the things that you wanted to do, and it led you to this truth. So I feel like you generally don't connect with people that you understand. You connect with people that you feel understand you. And when you expressed, you know, this idea of this is what you believe and this is how I arrived to it, I was like, this guy gets me, man. You know, like you, you, I've, you've walked my, my path. So at that point I was just like, you were one of two people that I finished a podcast of immediately listened to the same podcast and then went and found four other podcasts that you had been on to just consume your stuff as I waited for your book to arrive. That's, that's how you entered my universe, man. I'm going to listen to this episode numerous times to feel validated, but you, but you really bring up amazing points there. Not about me necessarily, but about that thought process. This is about understanding. It's all about this core element of trust, safety, and being of service. You know, I, I think people have experienced this a lot during COVID where there's been a lot of mental health challenges. I have faced a lot of days of bleh. You know, what's the point? But the greatest thing that I discovered slash put in a, put into use was then that service. Every time I felt down or felt blah, I do two things. One, I create something. And then when I create something, I make sure it's going to be creation of service to someone else. Mm-hmm. That pulls you out of a funk more than anything else ever. So yeah, f- for anyone listening... If you're finding yourself struggling or challenged, think of a way to be of service with any skill set because everyone has something you can do. Because if I can do anything, anyone can do anything. So let's now take that from that 30,000 foot level of being of service. All right, I'm good at this. I'm going to be of service. What was the next step? I'm good at networking. I want to be of service. I can see how this really is positive and affects people in a great positive way. How did you then begin monetizing Mm -hmm. service? Great question, Robin. So (laughs) what, you know, I, what I realized was I I found this out, right? Like I, I figured this thing out 
I then was like, I'm going to, I'm going to just keep doing this. Right. And at a certain point, at this point in Miami, I had started a green building consulting company that got acquired by my biggest client two years later. Right. And like what they did you do part of the, and I'm so, sorry to interrupt it. What would, yeah. the, what did you do part of that consulting company? Like, what was the, what was the service you offered? Two, twofold. There's a, I would go into existing commercial buildings and figure out ways that they could save energy and say, and, and, and create better indoor quality in a way that they could invest in that, that would pay for itself. That was one. And then the other thing was that there was this like green building certification that at the time had become like, had permeated the market. It was called lead certification and people were seeking that certification. And that was like my way in. So I would provide the, how do you get certified building a building that is green certified as well as how do you, you know, save money on energy and 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 make your indoor air quality better and stuff like that? And how did you get into that service? I graduated college, two thousand three. Man, I got a job out of career fair at UF, which was the job that. <laughs> All right, I mean this 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 fits in right. Like I I studied abroad my what would have been my last semester of college, right? So I had this like scholarship that had this stipend, I could use it or lose it. So I did that and then decided to come back and spend one more semester, University of Florida football season. It was a good time. So so when I went to career fair, there was a friend of mine that had been working for this construction company that I really, really liked. I really admired. I hadn't seen him since I left. I wasn't thinking about getting into construction because I'm the least handy guy in the world. But I went up to talk to him. He was busy. So I started talking to his boss and I just built a rapport with him. The boss was like, well, man, like I get that you're not looking for construction, but what we have is this like executive and training program where like within like two to three years, you've reached like middle level management and you're running your own show. Are you interested in that? I was like, yep. So, you know, that ended up being what they offered me that at the time I was like, they're like, you're going to move around two, three times. I'm like, that's perfect. If you start me in Miami and then move me, my mom can't get mad at me for leaving Miami, which I wanted to do anyways. So they did that, moved me out to Southern California. A year after moving to Southern California, I became the, the head of the Orange County operation. And while I was there, they developed this like green building program. They, they developed like a high-performing home program that in 2006, we realized, oh, this is green and there's an energy crisis going on. So I became a green building expert out there. And then the decision in 2009 was when I left that company, I was going to start my own green building thing in Southern California. My dad's like, you can be out of one out of 200 guys in LA doing this, or you can come back to Miami and be the guy. And I just played golf with somebody that's developing the first lead certified high-rise in Miami, and he wants to take a meeting. <laughs> so I was on a plane. I moved back home strategically started this company. And two years in my biggest client, which was uh, a hospital builder, university park builder for these like green building certifications, brought me in house as director of sustainability. And two years into that, the guy that had started that company, he had sold to a larger conglomerate. He exited and leadership started changing and devaluing what I did. And at some point I was just like, working 15 to 20 hours a week on the thing that I had already figured out as director of sustainability, they had no value for it. And I continued to pour into the community side, right? So I knew, I knew inherently, and this might be something good to talk about, but like at that point I was like in the office, 15 to 20 hours a week. And at the moment, I, and then I would just get out of there and go do this like community stuff, right? Like do the habitat stuff, do the beacon council stuff, Miami Lighthouse for the blind. And my friends were like, dude, why aren't you staying at work and trying to like impress your boss if you're worried about like your future. And I'm like, man, I can sit here and try to impress one dude, or I can go out there and help a bunch of people in the community and be known by all these different influential people. So I, I decided to lean into that and become more and more valuable. 
And at a certain point, I got named top 20 under 40 in a magazine while I thought like I was just like terrified of being laid off. <laughs> right. And that's, and then I had this like aha moment, right? Like we were starting to, by being able to be the head of these like young professional groups, we were hosting our meetings at influential people's boardrooms. And we would go there and say, Hey, just if you can host us in a boardroom and tell us how to like be successful, like you, when we grow older for 20 minutes, and then just let us hold a meeting, you know, we're going to tell people that you are supporting our charity. And that's how I would recruit these young professionals, right? Like I would recruit them and say, listen, first of all, if you join this group, you're in Miami, it's a flaky city. You're surrounded by a bunch of people that care a little bit more about other things than just themselves. And you're going to meet all these influential people in town because this is how we hold our meetings. And after that, then we plan our happy hour or our volunteer event, whatever. I then started being like, ah, this is a great way to network around Miami. And then we started hosting events where I would host a panel for with these leaders for the young professionals. And we do events like that. And I started being the moderator of that. That took me to another level. And then at a certain moment, the new CEO of this company that, that I was now feeling very marginalized inside of, he got asked to speak at a panel about smart cities in front of the Economic Development Agency of Miami. And at the last minute decided he didn't want to go, right? So they're like, who can we send? Oh, Pablo does this type of stuff. He's a green guy, go send him. And I show up to, I show up to this panel and it's like me in front of like maybe 60, 70 people at the economic development agency. And I share the stage with the head of Latin America for Cisco Systems and the head of the Smart Cities Initiative for the World Bank. And me who feels like a loser in my career. But at that point, Thanks to my nonprofit involvement, I got very comfortable on stage. I got, I got very comfortable doing these types of things. I spit my truth. And when I come off the stage, there was a line, seven people deep waiting to talk to me. Half of them were vendors trying to sell me something. I'm like, why do these guys think I have any decision-making power in my company? Uh, another, another two or three were, another two were developers that were like, hey, what's it take to hire a guy like you? And another guy was a young man, Will Beckham, who like approached me like, hey, man, I want some mentorship. And I'm having this like, which I'm friends with still to this day. I'm having this out of body experience of it's like, why I'm a loser in my company. Why are people doing this? I'm like, ah, being on stage in front of a group of people adds this like level of validation because the brain sees somebody on stage. They automatically attribute value to them because that person's on stage. I'm in the audience. And because I was on stage with people of a certain ilk, I became guilty by association into that stratosphere. And immediately I'm like, I can use this trick. And my head went to, who can I put on stage? Because I have these audiences that I do. So I immediately reached out to a developer in South Miami that was developing this like high rise in a low density, high income area. But he was developing it on top of the Metro Rail in front of the University of Miami. That's something called transit-oriented development that funds public infrastructure, which is desperately needed in Miami. So I reached out to that person who was getting hit up by every contractor broski of let me build your $65 million project. And I said, hey, listen, I think your project's really interesting. I'm, I'm the director of sustainability. I'm passionate about public transportation. How about we host an event with you and a politician on the board of one of my charities that cares about public transportation? I'm going to invite my young professionals of Miami to learn about how the development of Miami needs to flow through, through public infrastructure. And, you know, you just show up and we do this thing. That person was through the moon that I offered them that, showed up, connected them to the politician, 
gave him the stage. A week later, we were back to a $65 million project that we had no shot at before. So that turned me into a business developer. And that was the big aha moment of this is how you business develop, not by being salesy, but by adding value to people. So started following those breadcrumbs and started doing that. That turned me into a very valuable person inside my company, but I didn't shut up about this idea for like two years. And I just started approaching it as I'm giving everybody all my best ideas all the time. Like I'm just, I'm just out there doing this. And eventually I got the opportunity to go be a partner and the VP of business development and strategy at a startup tech software in Jacksonville, because I came up here to escape a hurricane from Miami. The hurricane followed me here. So I got holed up inside a house, my buddy's house with his friend that had this company. And by the end of it, it was like, yeah, man, what's it going to take for you to go come do this? And at that point, I wanted to prove my thesis at another level, right? So I said, let's do this, man. So I came, jumped into this like bit of a dumpster fire of a company. And my initial thought was that I was going to do these events in different places that have e-commerce sellers, because this was a, a software product for Amazon sellers. And because the company was a bit of a dumpster fire, I had to reimagine it. So instead, I started taking our 12 highest paying customers and doing these Zoom events that had the same exact structure. How can I introduce you to somebody attractive that can give you some value on what you're doing in your business? And then let's all just have a support session. And within like two months, they were best friends with each other, right? Like this like Serbian guy that did not trust me that I was just doing this out of the kindness of my heart was like, showed up to one of these calls like, uh, I have to say that, uh, you know, my whole life I have been alone on top of mountain as top leader. And now I feel like I am eagle soaring with other eagles. You are all my best friends. I'm like, oh my God, are we, are we recording this? You know? <laughs> and, and then we started getting a whole bunch of footage of us helping people. And we started building that into the idea of like, take a free trial with the software because we have this community and, and, and we're more than just like a software that like solves this one problem. We can connect you with people that can help you. And that solved all of the, all of the company's ills. And at the end of the year, I left that company because the partnership wasn't right. And that was end of 2018, beginning of 2019, where I was just like, man, I've learned enough things that I think I can build a business based on these lessons. And now the business that you know of mine, which is producing these internet talk shows creating podcasts and YouTube and micro content and making it in a way where you are, again, allowing people to show up, meet somebody interesting like Robin Dreek, ask questions, get to know each other, build the four vectors of relationship between me and the audience, you and the audience, audience to audience, and you and me, and repurposing that content as a way to grow a company is, is just the addition of all the lessons that I put together throughout that whole journey to do what you said, take my core skill set of being able to see value in people and, you know, promote it and build a business out of it that is in line with how I see the world and where I think the world is going to continue to go. Oh, that's a mouthful. That's really good. <laughs> what I was I, hoping you'd stop me at some point, Robert. I, I would just oh, Why? You know, when the master's talking, you just listen. Yeah. What I found really fascinating, a, a great takeaway is it's never or very rarely about the widget that you're selling or the service that you're offering. It's the relationships that come along the way that you forge that make anything in life worthwhile. It's why you followed on the path you did. Selling green things, okay, great, but it was actually the relationships. 
forging them and, and creating those networks for, of service. That is everything because that's what brings success to anything it is you want to touch. I want to get into one other area that your methodology really inspires which I think a lot of companies today really, really need badly, and that is loyalty. Hmm. And because of the way you forge your relationships, I, I mean, I'm extremely loyal to you. I mean, from the first two or three times, maybe probably even after the first one, the way you interacted with me, I was immediately loyal to you. I mean, I will never dump Pablo from my life. It's just impossible. It won't happen. We've never even met in person. That's true. We've never, you know, like did a joint venture to make money together, but I am loyal to you to the core. I like if Pablo calls and has a favor, I'm all in. I, he doesn't even have to finish the sentence. I'm all in. That's a very rare quality that people can inspire someone. How does that work? <laughs> it's what you teach, man. It's it's service, right? Like I I saw I saw what you were doing, Robin. Right, like back to back to kind of like the origin of the conversation of like I I saw you out in the ecosystem as somebody that I identified with. We had similar priorities. We saw the world, you know, like through similar lenses and want similar things for the world. And I just went into how can I add value to this guy? The first thing was I can obviously have you on my podcast, tell you how you changed my life mm -hmm. and, and promote your wisdom to as many people as I can. That's a very easy olive branch for me to offer to you, right? So that was how we first started talking. And then once that happened and, and you showed up and you realized, man, this guy really does. Like, I know, Robin, that we were, we were in COVID. I knew you were going through a hard time. I know that as a solopreneur, you are often just like out as a satellite in space, questioning yourself all the time and somebody showing up and telling you everything that they learned from you and how they are applying it would add value to your life, right? So I knew that number one, I would check that box. And then two, I would repurpose the stuff, spread it around. And at that point we became, you know, we're like, we're like, man, this was great. I was like, let me text you. So I started sending you like text videos, right? Whenever, whenever I thought of you, a couple of weeks after you and I had our interview, I was traveling to in like rural Pennsylvania. And, and the, you remember this, yeah, yeah. The, the Airbnb host found out that I was from Florida and like middle of the night was about to not let me stay. And before freaking out, I, 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 a conversation of ours played in my head. I was like, okay, no, this is how I have to talk to this dude in order for him to not freak out also and throw us out. And it worked. It saved my vacation with my wife. I told you that story. And then I just kind of kept you in my, you know, whenever I, I think the next time that you and I connected was because I was reading Brendan, Brendan Kane's book. Yes. I saw your name in it. I was like, this guy's referencing you. I think he'd be a good connection for you. Sent you that information. You went and closed the loop and forged your own relationship with Brendan, which was valuable to you. I mean, I, I, I just don't know. I don't know why I wouldn't do that type of stuff, man. Like I, so, so I was always looking for ways to, again, align priorities and, put it in front of you and allow you to make a choice. And you continually proved that the stuff that I was sending you was valuable to you. So that gave me the incentive to continue doing valuable things to you. Cause that feels good to me. And I knew that at some point it would lead to like a bona fide, legit relationship, even though we've never met in person. Right. And that at the end of the day is what I'm driven by. And that's it, man. That's, it's a very simple equation. It really is. The, as sim simple as state, maybe more challenging to put into practice because the one thing that you didn't do 
that another really good friend of mine, Dan Hoffman, who's a retired CIA clandestine services officer, him and you and him are at the same stratospheric level at, of networking to me that inspire great loyalty and have these contacts everywhere in the world. The roller decks is thick. And it's because you both do this one thing and then you don't do the second thing. The one thing you bring is you bring immense value like we already talked about. But the thing you never did is you never went in to bring the value with an ask in your mind. So there was never a motive that was either hidden or thought of it literally what now granted the asks come along potentially, but it was never the reason for the connection. So you had a lot of congruence of your verbals, your nonverbals, and your actions of just bringing value with no expectation of reciprocity, which is a great forger of trust, relationships, and networking, which inspires great loyalty. Because when I know you forge this relationship out of the goodness of your heart because you want to bring value to my life, if it makes me think of you just like you thought of me. You know, so for those listening, if you're looking for loyalty from people, bring value without an ask. Granted, will there be a time in life when you have a need? Sure. Then you sensitize, I call it sensitizing the universe to this need. And those that you have these great healthy relationships with will bring you the solutions you need. Maybe not in a way you ever thought of or in a way that you imagined. Because believe me, podcasting, was the last thing on my list I thought I was going to ever want to do, do or anything else. And I'm, I'm freaking addicted to it. I can't stop it. <laughs> I'm, fi- I'm figuring out ways to, so I can do more of it because of the value you brought. And, and honestly, man, like this is why I'm so high on podcasting and why it is something that is a core part of the service that I offer for businesses. Because the... The thing that I believe, right? You correct me if I'm wrong, right? But like I, I approach this from like, listen, you either understand that giving value to people is good for you or you don't. If if you're a one on that one, I want to talk to you. If you're a zero on that one, I don't know how much I can help you, man. And I think I got to draw boundaries somewhere. But what stops us from doing business this way, what stops us from really leaning into this and away from the scarcity mentality and the ask mentality is that at some point we have, we are limited in time, Like We're limited in the amount of time that we can do stuff for others versus the amount of time that we got to do stuff for ourselves. And I'm a, and I'm a very big believer that if you can build a system that adds value to other people at scale, then you can really live this life. And podcasting is one of those systems, right? Like the, the next step is to then make it a live podcast and have people show up and whatever, but like it's step one in those systems because it's a very easy lever of value to bring whomever you'd like to meet. If I didn't have a podcast, Robin, you and I probably would have never connected. Right. Right. Like, but, but just that little olive branch of like, Hey man, I want to have you on my show so I can interview you and have the chance to show you how much I like you and share it with not just me. Right. It adds content creation, co-creation of content adds scale to your time building relationships because I'm building a relationship with you one-on-one and it takes an hour, but you're now then going to publish this thing and allows me to build a relationship with our friend that is listening to it in her ear right now. And, and she may or may not want to then reach out to me. And that could be happening to a thousand people right now. And I've only spent one hour with you. Right. So like, I, I really believe that this method, that's, that's why I thought that 
podcasting would stick to you because you inherently get this thing, right? Like this is a way to build relationship with people that you otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to, whether it be the person that you're interviewing that normally you would have had a really hard time getting 15 minutes of their time, but now you have an hour of their time or the thousands of people listening or even the six people listening. That's still a six X return on my time. Yes. And you just coined a great term that I'm going to use a lot. You know, so Robert Cialadini's book, Influence, he talks about the levers of influence. I still kind of cringe at the word influence, even though it's used in a very positive way as opposed to manipulation things. But I, I loved your levers of value. It's a lever of value. That is a great phrase. That's a great little cliche. I'm going to make sure that goes into the show notes. Listen yeah. to Pablo's levers of value. Let's let's play there. Content content creation is value leverage, right? It's 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 yeah, lever it's it's a lever of value, right? Like it's yeah. it's getting leverage on the time that you spent building relationships. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Pablo, time is flying by and I don't want to destroy people's time quotient here. Any last thoughts before we sign off? Man, if you are, if you, you know, enjoyed spending time with me and Robin today, or you enjoy spending time with Robin in your ear any other day, I think he's putting a lot of work into this podcast. Like it takes very little time to add a little value to his life and just like giving it a five-star rating and like the in the podcast app that you're on or taking a screenshot and sharing it on LinkedIn or sending it to your friend and saying, dude, you got to listen to this or, or, or whatever, right? Like I would just say, share this thing. I think that the reason why I reached out to you to start a podcast is because I think the world needs more Robin Drake. So if, if this conversation brought value to you, get more Robin Drake in other people's lives. And we got to have you bring value to yourself because this is the first time I've ever asked anyone final thoughts and they brought more value to me because <laughs> the purpose is addicting. Pablo, I want you to bring value to you. So where people, where can people find out more about your greatness? You know, go to the, I have a podcast called the B2B community builder show, which is amazing. Um, Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Formerly called the chief executive connector, which is when Robin was on. Robin, we got to have you back on, by the way. Like, I'm I, I want to have you back on here and I want to have you back on the Not Your Average Investor show. But to, to our friend that's listening right now, if you want to check out my podcast, I would love it. Right. Like, that would be awesome. The B2B Community Builder Show. I'm sure Robin's going to link it. Yep. Um, we'll it it's impossible notes. to find Pablo Gonzalez in a search engine because there's 10 bajillion of them. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm the Johnson of people that have six kids and name them all after themselves. But, but it's a live show, right? Like it allows you not just to listen to it. You can show up on Mondays at 4.30 and be a part of it and, and talk to the talk to the guests that I'm hosting and, and add, you know, be a part of the conversation. I post-produce the content and share it. So I would love to have you join me either on the podcast in your ear, or once you, if you like it, show up one day and hang out with me on a Monday. And I will add, if anyone is looking for some great networking strategies on how to improve their life so they can improve the life of others, please reach out to Paulo because he is the master of it. And as you can also see, it's not about the product or service you're offering. It's about the relationships you build. And that's where Paulo is at. So everyone, thank you for tuning in to an exceptionally wonderful episode. I found out more about you during this. I hope everyone enjoyed it as well. I love it, man. Thanks for, thanks for sharing your stage with me, man. You know I value that. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Forged by Trust. If you enjoyed the show, took away a few new tools, I hope you'll leave a great review on whatever streaming platform you're listening in on now. If you're interested in more information about how to forge your own trust-building strategies, please visit my website at www.peopleformula.com. 
I'm looking forward to sharing my next Forge by Trust episode with you next week when we chat with my friend and the amazing Dr. Debbie Gilboa in the incredibly useful episode From Stressed to Resilient. <laughs>